0: Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my Bulldog, Rodney, has the day off today because I'm with a special guest, one of the true legends of Kentucky basketball as we live back on some of the great times of the 1990s. My guest is the number five all-time leading scorer at the University of Kentucky, He's a fellow Southern boy like me, but he's from Brownsville, Tennessee. You know him as All-American O Tony Delk. So please welcome my special guest, Tony Delk, to the show as we live the dream about Kentucky Wildcat basketball. Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Ben, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this interview with you. I've uh, been waiting for a few days, and you have some Remarkable questions that you're going to ask me. So uh, I'm really ready to answer those questions and get to them and let the fans know what Tony Dilk has been up to.
0: Exactly. Well, of course, Tony, you know, you're one of the big stars of the 90s. A very important part of Kentucky basketball when we were coming back to the top under Coach Patino. And um, so let's start about the legend when you became the Brownsville Bomber. You're from a small town of <laughs> Brownsville, Tennessee. So talk about growing up in a small town in in Brownsville, Tennessee, basketball, and how you became Mr. Basketball for the state of Tennessee.
1: It was so much fun growing up in in a small town. And even as I live in Kennesaw, Georgia, now I've been in the Atlanta area for about seven or eight years now, it's, um, you know, I I reflect on those times of not really having distractions, understanding that basketball was something that I really enjoyed doing, Having older siblings really helped me out. You know, those guys, my brother Ricky, David, and Leslie, you know, they poured and instilled so many great qualities in me and and taught me how to play basketball, gave me a really good foundation. And then just having parents that, you know, allowed me to be me. You know, there was never any pressure on me when I stepped on the court as a a middle school, high school player uh, from them. You know, most of the time as as I – Working my academy, you know, I see these parents that have seven to eight year old kids and they're thinking like these kids getting ready for a, uh, you know, getting ready for a, a scholarship. I'm like, listen, we're not even recruiting. They don't even recruit seven, to eight year old kids. Let your son or daughter, because I do have boys and girls in my program, but let your son or daughter just enjoy, um, you know, the experience of playing, you know, because it, it changes so much. And what I found out about myself uh, was I was very passionate about the game of basketball. And when you're passionate about it, it goes a long way in life.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. No, and, and I tell you what, you better be passionate about basketball if you're going to play for Rick Patino. So how did you decide to go play basketball at UK?
1: You know what? I think a lot of it was Billy Donovan. Um, you know, Billy really came and started recruiting me as a sophomore. And, um, you know, to get a chance to, you know, see a guy that's, Calling, showing up at your games, driving a few hours from Lexington to watch you play. It, it was important that he had a connection not only to me, but he also had a connection to my my parents uh, mm-hmm. and my siblings, my brothers. My brothers, David and and um, and Leslie, was heavily involved in my recruiting process. And I think when you recruit a player, you recruit his family. And Billy knew that I wasn't going too far from home because at that time my parents were older. My my mom was. 43 when she had me. My dad was 55. So they were in their 60s. They were older. And that was Mm -hmm. another reason why when I go back to high school and I try to tell these parents is that, you know, my mom and dad very seldom came and watched me play. But, I mean, they were huge fans. They understood why I was the person I was. But it was because they gave me such humbling, humbling background, humbling experiences of just Mm -hmm. being the best you can possibly be, but also um, keeping your eye on 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 the prize staying focused, having a faith, uh, believing in who you are. So Billy was, uh, he understood how close I was to my mom and dad. And, um, and just coming and recruit me was also recruiting them and to let yeah. them know, Hey, your son is going to be safe with us. We're going to, uh, give your son the opportunity to, you know, to be a starter. Uh, but also understand that, you know, it's going to be hard work behind all of this. And once I went and took that visit, a recruiting visit there. It was Midnight Madness. I'll never forget. And I was like, wow, all these people are waiting to watch this game. It was like thousands of people. I'm like, what are these people doing? They was like, oh, they're waiting for a free game at midnight. So to be honest with you, Ben, I never, I didn't know the history and the tradition of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just like, these got to be some, these some weird people. Like, I know we love basketball in Tennessee, but not like this. You know, yeah. to be waiting for midnight to watch a game. But after I left, um, at that time, I had already visited Arkansas, who my mom really liked. She really loved Noah Richard, and so yeah. she wanted me to go to Arkansas. My high school coach, Rick Sullivan, um, he wanted me to go to Memphis. And it was Memphis State at the time, University of Memphis now. Right. And there was something about Kentucky. When I left and came back, I told my mom, I was like, you know, I, I really think I want to go to Kentucky. And she was like, you sure? Because I still had. Two more visits visit lined up. Uh, Georgia Tech, who I was going to go and visit, uh, Bobby Crimson was a coach there. And yep. they only had one scholarship. And they gave that to a friend of mine who passed some years ago, uh, Martise Moore. Mm-hmm. And um, Tennessee, Wade Houston was a coach. Allen Houston was there. One of yep. my high school um, AAU teammates was that was the point guard there. So those are my other two visits after I left Kentucky that I never took. I just knew in my mind, I was like, there's something right about Kentucky, and that's where I want to go. And I remember when I made that call, you know, I was like, hey, Billy, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm locked in, um, you know, but also who was on that visit with me? Walt McCarty, mm-hmm. signed Jared Prickett, he mm-hmm. signed Roger Rhodes, who was supposed to be going to Seton Hall. That's right. Just been taking a visit to Kentucky. Like it was like, hey, I'm I'm gonna go down there, and you know, I said I'm gonna come down. Coach, you know, coach is a New Yorker, so he was really kind of coming as a favor. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? He so Roger Rose signed, and then we end up getting uh, Rod Rodney Dent, who gave us our best recruiting class back in 1992. But yeah. it, it it was a it was a great time just to to be a Kentucky player, you know, because they had just come off that that lost to, uh, to do mm-hmm. elite eight loss, which probably was a, you know, go down to one of the best NCAA tournament games. And it was just the right time for me.
0: Yeah, no, I know it was a big, um, big deal with you guys coming in because Latino had this class of basically it, I think four uh, McDonald's all Americans. Cause I know you were McDonald's all American. Uh, Roderick obviously was, he was like number two, the number two ranked guy. And McCarty and uh, and Prickett, so it was a big deal, and I remember on the cover of the the Catspaws yearbook, it was Mashburn and Patino, and then you guys, yeah, on the yeah. class. So, well, let's talk about that. Um, you know, with uh, with Billy Donovan, I guess he was the the head recruiter at that time because they had a heck of a staff. If you think about it, I mean, you had obviously Patino, but you had Billy Donovan, you had Herb Sindek, I think Bernadette Lock Maddox yeah. was on that staff as the first right. woman a uh, coach. And I mean, she was a great player growing up. So, wow. it's, so talk about um, that transition from going from Tennessee to UK. And you got these Patino practices. You got Donovan, who's you know a stickler. And I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to this big campus that UK is probably bigger than the whole town of Brownsville. So, <laughs> a lot of adjustment. The expectations of being a Kentucky player. Well, it's yeah. a lot.
1: You probably could put it. You probably could put our little town in in Memorial Coliseum. So it's a small town, but you know, I felt like from a a mental standpoint, I was I was always going to be prepared because my brothers, you know they they beat me up as a as a high school player, and they were older. You know, my brothers played NAI basketball at Lambeth College, and so I got a chance to really play against older older men, and so I, I knew when it came down to playing against the guys at my position, older players and players who probably were in a, who had been in a um, really good strength and conditioning program, you know, I had to get stronger. I knew that about my, my body, which I was okay with that. You know, I think everybody has to transition, but really I think the toughest, the toughest thing for me was, you know, getting in and, and the speed of the game, um, learning how to play defense, team defense, and individual defense, because when you come mm-hmm. out of high school and you score, uh, scoring is your defense. And I, I would always tell coach, I was like, listen, either you am going to score or I'm going to be sitting right next to you because I'm going to be in foul trouble. And he was like, listen, do what you do, that score, and, and we'll make sure that all, all the guys, you know, they, they pick up the slack. But it was different at Kentucky because MASH, mm-hmm. it was his team when I got there. Mm-hmm. So our offense really was, you know, went through him. And Ooh, that wow. was different for me, because even in AAU, I really had to come along and find my way and until I finally became the best player on my AAU team. And in high school, I was a man. I, I never took a backseat to anyone. So that was the hardest thing, was coming in and knowing that someone else is going to be getting the bulk of the shots and the offense going to go through him. Because I came, you know, my two years, my junior senior, I averaged 37, 38 points. McDonald's All-American. So I came in with my own accolade. So I, I really, mm-hmm. as much as Mash was a man, I didn't really watch Kentucky to know how good he was. Now Mash was an unbelievable player, don't get me wrong, but, you mm-hmm. know, I still had a lot of respect for him, but also I knew how, knew the work I put in. So I mm-hmm. really was at a point, not at, at a standstill with, with Coach about, you know, offense going through Mash, but I knew if I had to do it for a second season, it wasn't going to work for me. I I just did myself staying if, you know, if Masters are another year, like, and I'm I'm trying to make it to that next level. But I knew what I had. I knew I I was, I could score with with anyone in the country. Um, I became a much better defender. So I knew how to play the game. And then I wasn't going to say, well, you know what? It's okay to come in. No, I'm not waiting, you know, because my time is my time.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I I really (laughs) had to learn how to play with, you know, other talented players around me, and, and that was a, that was an adjustment that might have been the hardest was playing with other good talent players around. Not to say my high school players wasn't good, but it was a different talent when you start getting the best JUCO player, the best player from West Virginia, the best player from New Jersey, the best player from Indiana. So everyone is the best from wherever yeah. you're from, and that's the transition that most guys struggle with when they've been the dominant player on their team. So I had to really kind of figure out where I was going to fit in with the team. And that first year was a struggle to the point where I was really thinking about transferring. Like we really, I had the conversation with my brothers, uh, my mom, you know, about me leaving as a freshman. Cause I really yeah. didn't see how I was going to fit in um, the next three years, or the next two years, how many years I was going to stay. There? I just didn't see where I was going to fit in. But Billy kept telling me, was like, Tony, stay with it. Your turn is going to come. Keep working hard. So, even when I wasn't playing, Billy and I would go to the gym. We work on my game, and I, and I was still learning the collegiate game as well. But he mm-hmm. really was the reason why I ended up staying there. You know, along with you know, my mom telling me I, I, I can't come back home. She was like, "You made that decision." She was like, uh, no, you're not coming back here." But I mean, of course, she would have embraced me if I'd have came mm-hmm. back home. But you know, it really was me matured and growing up. Because yeah. when things come easy, is you always you always think it's going to be that way. So I had to deal with the adversity of, of, you know, getting some DMPs, you know, during the course of the season, playing four or five minutes here, not playing, you know, during a stretch of time, getting in and making one or two mistakes, missing a couple of shots and coming out. So it was kind of like, you know, as a 18-year-old kid, where do I fit in? Do this coach really like me? You know, you start questioning, you know, your game. I had to question my game. Is my game. Is my game good enough to be on this level? But I knew all the work I put in. I'm like, no. I know, I believe in me. It's going to come. So yeah. I knew at some point in time, you know, I was going to turn that corner. And uh, after that Final Four run in 93, um, I didn't go home. I just stayed there, and I was like, I'm going to stay here, go to summer school, and work on my game. And that's what I did.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you were <clears throat> saying that you didn't know where your, when your time would come. Because if you look at that roster, <clears throat> I think Mashburn announced he, uh, before the season started he was going to go to the NBA. And of course, I, when he announced that, I nearly cried because I'm like, no, you got to stay. You got to stay. But, um, you know, the starting lineup you had there, you had Travis Ford <clears> at <throat> point guard. So obviously he's not playing in your position. Uh, you had Dale Brown, who was a, a good player, good defender, but he was a senior that year. Right. So you had Jeff Brasso. I mean, he was a shooting guard, but kind of a small forward. We'll talk a little more about him. But then you had Junior Braddy. I guess Brasso and Junior Braddy were your competition for minutes
1: on that team. Well and but also when Brown I, was out. I, I think Dale was still competition. Like to me, yeah. he was competition because he played my position. Although Travis I mean, was a
0: starter though. <clears> yeah.
1: Oh, you know, but you know, even as a starter, I you know, I mean I can't I came to start. I didn't just come to be, you know, Dale Brown's backup. You know, I didn't yeah. come to be Junior Brady's backup. I mean, if, if that was the case, why would I ever go to Kentucky? Like I'm the I'm one of the top players in the country. And I could have mm-hmm. gone anywhere and have been a starter, you know what I'm saying? So it was almost to the selling point of you're gonna get 20, 25 minutes. You know, that's what I was expecting when I got there. Oh wow. Yeah. So if you don't tell, think about this, Ben, if you don't tell me that why would I go as one of the top mm-hmm. players in the country, just like all these other top kids are coming out now, yeah. why would I go and, and and be a backup to anyone? Does that yeah. it don't think about it? It don't even make sense, you know what I'm saying? And especially when I was not a fan of Kentucky. I was a fan of Memphis growing up, Memphis Mm -hmm. State, which is the University of Memphis. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was my favorite team growing up. Because even when I took a visit to Memphis as a recruit, Penny Hardaway was my, um, he was my host. Mm -hmm. So I had a chance to play with Penny. And also, you know, like I said, going to Tennessee would have been me playing with LaMarcus Golden, who was Penny's first cousin, who was my AAU backcourt mate. Um, So it really, That's what I, you know, I I, I reflect on him. Like, Dale was a tough defender, tough player, and he made it tough for me. Don't get me wrong. Dale taught me a lot about basketball, just how to use screens, uh, taught me how to Mm. become a a better defender. But when you think about you recruiting top players, any top player you see that's being recruited right now, he's not being recruited to sit behind anyone. That's true. Because if that had to come up, if if that conversation had to came up, oh, yeah, you're going to be a backup to Dale Brown. I'm not coming to Kentucky, period. There is no – I don't care who the coach is, what assistant coach. I am not coming. If you tell me I'm going to be, play backup, and I know there's 15 to 20 other teams that when I step on yeah. the campus, I'm going to be a starter.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, though, because I guess I'm kind of old school on it because I, I was like – you know, in the 80s, I remember like Kenny Walker and some of the guys who came in, and at least they knew they were going to back up for maybe one year. And then, uh, or more likely, than not, but still get a lot of minutes, and then start. But you're exactly right now with with Calipari's guys. I mean, those guys expect to start. No, they're Maybe. not. Starts.
1: Man, yeah. those guys, those guys are not sitting on the bench. You, you tell them you're bringing in a top ten player. Yeah. And oh, by the way, you went to sit behind a guy like if this guy was so good, why are you still here? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, so yeah. why are you bringing me here? You can't just, you can't just really hold a a player hostage with his talent. To wait now. I mean, it's just different. It's different now than it was then, because you can do it. You can't do that now. You can't be the the number three and number four player, number five player in the country, set behind anyone. And I and I know it was different because Roger really didn't have anyone to push him at his position. I Mm. did have someone to push me in my position. That was Dale Brown. So Rod, kind of, when he made the the commitment, he's coming. It was almost like he was giving. He was given the starting spot, but mm-hmm. I wasn't given the starting spot. So yeah. as we saw how, how great he was in the beginning is that the confidence was in him. Oh, we're going to play you right away. Oh, oh, by the way, Tony, you have to wait your turn or you have to play behind someone. And, th- and that's another reason being why I wasn't happy. You know, yeah. and maybe I wanted to leave because I, I felt like I was not told the truth about my playing my playing time when I arrived on campus. And mm-hmm. when well, I got to beat somebody out or not, you just got to be honest. To, hey, we have this guy right here, and he's going to be the starter. Uh, are you okay with playing behind him? And I'd have been like, no, I'm not. You know, and I had mm-hmm. never seen Dale, nothing against Dale or anything. Dale turned out to help, help me out a lot. But it was nothing against him. I felt like my talent was good enough to play as a starter. Because if that's the case, think about this, Ben, is in those, after those, my freshman season, I let us in, I let us in scoring the next three years. That's so, right. In one year are you telling me that I got better in one year? Come on, stop it. You know.
0: Well, I was going to transition into into that sophomore year because you mentioned the summer you worked a lot and improved your game and sophomore year you're leading scorer for Kentucky 16.6 points a game. So let's talk about that adjustment from the freshman year to the so- the sophomore year. That 94 team, it wasn't a final 14. But there were a lot of very exciting moments. You had the thirty-one point comeback against LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the uh, big runs against uh, Arizona in the uh, Maui Classic. Classic. Lasso Tip-In, we'll talk about. <laughs> but um, talk about that adjustment because you did. You went from being, you know, a guy, a role player, to being one of the stars in the league right. as a sophomore.
1: And, and just in just a few months, man. Just think think about what we we're saying. That happened in just a few months. Still still upset about that. You know what I'm saying? Like right right yeah. to this now. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it just messing with you. No, well, you that, got a that,
0: few more shots to open up, and mash
1: from left. Yeah, I, I couldn't wait for Mash to leave, to be honest with you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the one thing I, I know is so funny that you know everyone was like, Yeah, we want to stay. I'm like, no, I want to leave so I can give me some more shots. It it, yeah. it takes me back to my high school's um my high school year, my sophomore season, when I was the only sophomore, and I played. There was four seniors that were starting. So in mm-hmm. my mind, I'm like, man, when these seniors leave, guess what can happen? That's more shots for me. And not to say that I was a selfish person, but I enjoy shooting, and <laughs> I enjoy scoring. So you play a
0: shooting guard position.
1: Exactly, I played it for a reason. That's my that's my position. So when Marsh left as a uh, as a junior, I was like, man, that's gonna be 15 to 20 more shots. Why can't I get Seventy five percent of them shots. <laughs> yeah. But to be honest with you, you know that, that team was uh, you know we were really coming to our own. I think everyone you know like myself and Roderick you know it was our second season really you know getting acclimated and, and understanding the co- the collegiate game uh, better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that team was good. That team was a team that um, you look back at it we played hard. We didn't have like the superstar player like Nash, you know, I was a really good player um, that season. But, you know, other guys were really kind of finding their roles and how they can help out. And, and, you know, so we ended up, you know, we had a, you know, we had some really good games, some really good times. And you knew we were going to be an NCAA tournament team. You know, that was, mm-hmm. you know, that was without a doubt. Um, but I'll tell you what really hurt us that year was losing Rodney Dent early.
0: Yeah, Uh, I was
1: getting ready to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. I I really do think if Rodney doesn't get hurt, we are a Final Four team. Because if you look at the Final Four, um, I want to say three of those teams we had beaten Mm -hmm. during the course of that season. And not having, you know, our stretch five that was a rim protector, you know, he had a nice little mid-range game. He dunked everything around the basket. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that really set us back. Because then you yeah. had to you had to go to Andre Riddick. And Riddick was more of a defender. You know, Rodney mm-hmm. gave us, you know, he gave us offense and defense. And if he ever, if, once he would get it foul then Dre would come in and Dre is our grand protector. And mm-hmm. just not having Rodney. I, I you know, I look back at that season and that could have been a special season, you know, mm-hmm. based on you know how he finished his um, you know, his junior season. He was excited mm-hmm. about coming back. And I and, and I in, in my mind, with his talent, he would have been a lottery pick. He was that good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Having a, that injury early um, that ACL tear early in the season, I think it was about the ninth or tenth game. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we we fought hard, we 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 competed, but just not having a centerpiece made a huge difference in how we finished that
0: season. Well, one of the big games of that year was that uh my classic where you guys played the Arizona Wildcats in the championship game. And they had that backcourt of Damon Stoudemire and Clint Reeves. Yeah. And, I mean, that was a good team. That a, a, a Reggie Geary was on that team. Joseph Blair was her center. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was such a back and forth game. But um I mean, at the end you had the Jeff Brasso tip yes. win the game. I remember watching that with my grandparents. I mean, I hopped off the couch. It was amazing. And, uh, I mean, that that was one of my favorites. I I that was back in the day where I now videotaped the games on the VCR. I still have a lot of VCR tapes and stuff. And so I took it to school and I played it like in one of my classes for like three or four times. I was so right. excited about it.
1: Yeah, it, it, but, it uh, was um it, it was one of those moments where, you know, playing against like I said, Galea Reeves and Damon Stoudemire, who was a good friend of mine, and just knowing those guys were they were tough, they were tough offensive players, and I had to guard. One in the first half, had to guard the other in the second half because I became one of our better defenders, you know, after yeah. not playing and as a sophomore, as a freshman, um, you know, he always made me guard the best players, which I think gave me, you know, gave me a career pass just being a scorer. You know, he made me one of the first, like, you know, he was like, You're gonna be a two-way player, you mm-hmm. know, being able to guard and, you know, being able to guard, but also being able to score. And it, it takes a lot of energy to do that you know you have to be in phenomenal shape which you know when I look at when we look back at practices Woof! I mean three That's hour it. practice practices you know we were in phenomenal shape as players you know the best shape I've ever, ever been in my life was playing for uh, Coach Patino. but that 94 season was a was a season you know to remember just from you know Rodney getting hurt the tip in um, you know Coming back from 31 points down, which was still to this day, I'm like, I've watched that game and I still don't know how we came back, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, just establishing, you know, who I was, just getting back into, you know, the game that I had before I got to Kentucky, being a score, you know, being a a player that you can rely on, being consistent. I, I, when you're a good scorer, it's really, can you be consistent with that? Can a coach go to go to sleep at night knowing, okay. I know exactly what Tony Duck is going to give me. And that's kind yeah. of, I always want a coach to be at ease about my talent and what I would do when I step on the court and just being, being in the moment, every time I stepped on the court, it was like, I'm going to give you hundred percent good or bad, no matter what I did when, you know, that was my, I always say like, you know, when you, as a player, you got to have, a you have to go somewhere. And, and when I stepped on the court, you know, my mind was all about how can I, help this team, you know, win this game. But also, I'm always going to give everything, you know, 100 percent, win or lose.
0: Yeah. You know, let me ask you one question. Um, you talked about it a little bit earlier with your freshman year. How does somebody who's like a McDonald's All-American, because you came in with Roderick, and Roderick was so highly recruited, and you got Jared and Walter, and every, everybody's the guy. there. how do you get a team to mesh together? Because I mean, you look at the Kentucky teams now when uh, Calipari brings in all these guys. He's got to give them the mesh and we'll get into it with the 96 team. But how does that work? Because you've got to have some ego put aside, I would think, but you've got to have your, your goal for the common good. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not an easy process.
1: It's not, you know, yeah. to be honest with you, gosh, when you have so much talent is getting guys to buy in and, you know, sacrifice, like we all had to sacrifice something. Mm-hmm. Uh myself, my scoring, um, you know, my ability to be aggressive, like like I felt like that was taken away as a freshman because, you know, the team was centered around MASH. And I really mm-hmm. couldn't get into my own because even if I started scoring, it was like, oh, well, we got to take you out a game. We don't want you to take some of these shots that MASH might be taking. And I was like, but you brought me here to do what? You know what I'm saying? Like, just yeah. explain to me what my role is. And, and, it's, and it's hard because you're 18 years old and you've always done something extremely well. And that's the reason why I was recruited. I wasn't recruited to come in. Like I said earlier, I wasn't recruited to come in and be a backup. I wasn't recruited to come in and be a, a, a facilitator. You know, I came in doing what I, what I done. Well, you recruited me as a score. You don't oh, wow. bring a, a 37, 38 point high school score and then tell them, okay, now I want you to be a point guard. I want you to be a passer. Or oh, you can't. You got to be this role player. You brought me in as a scorer because that's what everyone else recruited me as. a scorer. Yeah. They, they didn't recruit me as, OK, Tony, you want to come in. We need you to average 10, 12 assists per game. No, We want you to come in and do what you've done the last two years of your high school career. And when you see, when you hear that, then it makes the game easy because now, But but I'm glad I was able to be a guy learn how to play without the ball in my hand because mm. you do it for when you've done it pretty much your whole high school career now what coach patino gave me he gave me you know something else to add to my game he gave mm. me just more versatility so I, I give him so much credit um for allowing me to be able to play without the ball but also he put the ball in my hand when the time was right for the, for the ball to be in my hand and mm. um you know i had to learn how to use screens and wait for, um, be patient, let my big come down and get me on the pin down on the stagger screen. So I learned how to read screens and, uh, come off curls and be able to shoot the ball. So he really added more to my game, you know, where I was a, I can take you off the bounce. I didn't, I didn't need a pick and roll. I knew how to score. Um, you know, with my man in front of me, getting to the second level and being able, still being able to score, so he actually really helped my game. Uh, he brought my game uh, a lot more than when I first got there.
0: What was it like playing with Travis Ford? Because from a, a fan's perspective, he seemed like he was—I mean, very good floor general. Um, yeah. I know, I kind of know. He—I mean, he grew up as a coach's son, so right. his dad was a coach and did a lot of tournaments and stuff like that. I mean, knockdown shooter. Um, he really benefited from Mashburn because he could nail that open three, but it seemed like he would be a guy that would be a good leader on that team. Uh, What was it like playing with Travis?
1: It was fun. Travis was a, he was a good teammate. You know, like I said, I always knew we we called him Little T. So I always Mm -hmm. knew he was going to be, he was going to be a a coach somewhere, you know, whether it was high school or college. And, you know, he's done extremely well as a coach, but was a good teammate. Um, You know, he knew how to get the ball to the right players, you know, at the Mm -hmm. right time. I think that's one Going back to that that uh, 92-93 year, um, you know, watching how him and MASH played, you know, like they was always in sync with one another. Yeah. You got, you know, with MASH, you had to double team. He kicked it out to Travis. That was going to be an automatic assist. I want to say Travis, the all-time leading uh, field goal percentage in in one season.
0: Yeah, he shot 50% from three that
1: year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) Right now. He shot a lot of open shots too. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. Hey, it, it was like playing horse with no one in front of you. He got those looks. I was like, man, I wouldn't have been getting those looks, you know. But but you know, but also you still have to knock those shots down. So Trav, he worked extremely hard on shooting. He was a great foul shooter. Um, but just knew who and where to get the ball to at yeah. the right time, you know. So Trav was a really good lead. I enjoyed playing with Travis.
0: Well, and talking about you know getting the ball to the people at the right time, I'll never forget that 31 point comeback against LSU because I came back from a tournament and so I saw the game and we were like we were like down. I mean, we weren't down 31 yet, but we were down 20. And I'm like, man, this what is going on here? And of course, LSU is a tough place to play Mm -hmm. down there. And it got worse and worse and got down by 31. And I'm like, man, I'm watching a car wreck here, but I couldn't turn away because I'm like, let's at least lose by 10, let's at least lose by 10. And I hear some of the guys who've played in the game, like Travis and uh, Patino and others, uh, coaches, and it's like, hey, let's win the next four minutes or the next five Mm -hmm. minutes and come back. And it was everybody contributing. I mean, you were nailing threes. Chris Harrison off the bench was nailing threes. Walter McCarty had a huge game. Brasso was nailing threes. It It was just an amazing, amazing game. So talk a little bit about that amazing comeback.
1: Well, I'm gonna tell you, you know, to, to get down that many points, uh, you have to be a bad team. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Ronnie Henderson was red hot in yeah. that
1: game. Ronnie Henderson, I think Clarence C those guys couldn't miss a shot, yeah. it was just like, I mean, just hand in a hand in their face. It was just they two guys it were just, they was on point. They just was hot. But I think it was it might have been a speech at halftime, because let me take you back. We had just lost to Syracuse. We just lost to Arkansas. So this would have been our third loss mm. in a row. And I remember Coach telling us at halftime, he said, listen, or even knowing, he might've been doing the game. He said, this is going to be the worst effing day of your life tomorrow. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he said, so listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. Tony, you might want to transfer back to Memphis. Walter, Indiana, Jared Prickett, West Virginia. Roger Rose, Seton Hall. He said, because when we get back to Lexington, he said, you guys are not going, you guys have not witnessed a practice like you're going to have the next day. So we kind of gather each other, like, listen, man, let's get this, keep this thing respected. Let's get this thing under 20. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So 20 was the mark. And if we'd have lost by 20, being down by 30 on the road, you know, Mardi Gras, come on. I mean, that's that that would have been a win for us. But We had just lost two games in a row. So that third game, I had never lost three games in a row uh, in college. So when we started making a run, like I said, we were still playing good defense. We just started making, getting turnovers. They were still scoring, but we were scoring threes and they were scoring twos. Mm -hmm. And then Jeff Brassall, he came, you know, he was, he got hot. Uh, Chris Harrison, who hadn't played in probably a few, probably all season, he was coming in just, Whenever I wasn't playing, he was getting those minutes. But, you know, just still was a really good shooter, you know. And mm-hmm. you can't, you really can't replace shooting, especially when you're down. Uh, you need guys that can have confidence, guys that can knock that three ball down. And that's what we did. We just slowly walked them down. And, you know, we got it to within 10. And we still had so much time. I'm like, man, we still got a chance maybe, you know, to at least get this to five. And, you know, we were just thinking about how can we make coach happy? I didn't, I didn't think about winning the game. When we more we really were thinking about that next man, like practice. I was I was gonna mm-hmm. be like, practice. You talking about practice? We're gonna have five hour practice. I'm I'm I can almost guarantee you we would have practiced that day. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go into a story later and probably would have practiced again later in the night, you know. So that's mm-hmm. what that would have been Coach Patino. But we just really walked him down playing a defense. Jeff was hitting shots, and um, you know, I, I would never forget. Beat my man off the dribble and pass the ball to my roommate Walt McCarty in the corner. In the corner, yep. He knocked the three down, and then I mean that was it. We, yeah, we were good from there. I was like, hey, now the pressure's on them. You know what I'm saying to finish this game off. And then I think I went, I went, went to the foul line and missed one, made one. I was like, man, can you believe? I was thinking about the people who went to sleep on the game. <laughs>
0: So oh, I, was, I know. I know. Let me tell you it was a talk of the school. Yeah, but to wake up the next day and to wake one. up the next day and, and know that,
1: man, them dudes, they came back from what? Like, no, that's that's that, that there there's no way that
0: happened. Well, in that 93 and 94 I mean another SEC championship for the squad uh SEC tournament uh championship. So yeah, we didn't make it as far as we wanted to in the NCAA tournament, but it still is a good team. I, I mean I think you have to know nose. The nail right on the head with Rodney didn't getting hurt because yeah I mean when you lose a guy that's six foot ten I think Rodney was like 260 270 yeah you kind of need a big guy down low to beat the big bang and stuff and so overall it was a good year you, know, you were our leading scorer going into our junior year though what were the what were the expectations going into that junior year because now it's you know you've been with Roderick Rhodes and uh, and those guys for uh not, Going into three years, more experienced. Yeah. Uh, you had a Antoine Walker coming in as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Talk about the expectations going into the '95 year.
1: That year, that year was when I look at the talent. I mean, that team should have won. We we, we should have won in '95. '95 was a year that we were loaded at every position.
0: Mark Boat uh, came in.
1: Yeah, we we just had we just had a bad game at the wrong time. I thought well, from the talent standpoint, I don't I don't think anyone had more talent than us. Um, you know, we lost to Arkansas. I remember losing to Arkansas at home being number, they were number one in the country. And we were up like 13 to 14 points. And they ended up winning, you know, beating us in, in Rupper Arena. I only lost two games there. And, uh, that was against Arkansas and uh, Mississippi State. But came in and beat us. And then, of course, we ended up beating them in the SEC tournament uh, championship game in overtime. But yeah. That team was so good Um, and and to have gotten as far as we did, because, I mean, we steamrolled some teams in the NCAA tournament. It was like ease. Like when I tell you ease, it was easy. Like, wow, you know, but got to, you know, you look at the team we lost to, you know, teammate of mine with uh, with Detroit Pistons, Rasheed Wallace, good friend of mine, uh, Vanderbilt head coach, Stackhouse, Jeff McGinnis. Donald Williams was on that team.
0: He was a heck of a shooter.
1: Yeah, Dante Calabria, Um That team was good. That team was, you know, when you look back, you would be like, okay. They had Shaman Williams. He was a freshman. They had, mm. they had four or five pros on their team. So we didn't just lose to the team we lost to the year before. Like, Marquette really, really surprised us in 94. I, you know, I I don't know if we we gave him enough respect. Um, I don't think we did. I think we actually got out there late. You know, we was game planning for them, and, um, you know, we got out there not on normal time, so they, we started our press, and Marquette got ahead, and, you know, we, we just trailed the whole game. I was like, mm-hmm. man, this team really wasn't that good, but also, we would have faced Duke in the next round in Knoxville. So yeah. it's kind of like we beat Marquette. We really don't know where they are. We're Kentucky. They're Marquette. It's mm-hmm. going to be an easy win, but when you play against North Carolina, you know the tradition, you know the history. Uh, but that that foul that Walter McCarty got was really hurt us. You know, we
0: absolutely. I was going to ask you trailed,
1: about that. We trailed pretty much. I mean, we were ahead, and then once he went out the game because you know he got his so-called second foul, and uh, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have gotten a foul. It was Dre Riddick who choked Rasheed, and should yeah. have been between two of them. And and also, what I learned, even as you know, we'll get into my academy uh, a little bit later as I tell my coaches, I say. You have to learn, if that's your best player, how can I trust him? I have to let him play with two fouls at some point in time. Mm. And that would have been a great time for us to have let, let one of our players that was hot play with two fouls. Cause Absolutely. He wasn't going to foul out, I don't think he would have. But even though, you know, it, it, it changed the momentum of the game. I mean, it was it was a, a momentum switch. Absolutely. I mean, and the it, game it, it,
0: changed it, at that
1: point. Yeah, it, it <laughs> was a game change. You know, and, and you know, we were ahead. They caught up, and then next you know, we trailed in, and then Roger had, you know, he didn't have a great game. You know, it was one of his probably worst collegiate games at, at the wrong time,
0: you yeah. know.
1: And it happened, you know, it's, it's a part of playing.
0: Yeah. Now, I was going to ask you on that North Carolina game, the thing that was so frustrating about the call on Walter McCarty is the officials went back and looked at the replay, and they still <laughs> got it wrong. I'm like – Good Lord, what's going on here? And like you said, McCarty was—excuse <clears throat> me—he was red hot, and that just that cooled us yep. off. And we never got the momentum back. No, nah. we shot like twenty-eight percent in that game.
1: We shot awful. We shot awful. I mean, you have to credit their defense, but you know, I just thought—you know—Walter was a mismatch problem. You know, he, was. he he was really when you think about stretch fours, like he was a stretch four that they were going to have problems guarding. When you have a six-nine, six-ten guy that can pass, shoot, dribble and, and draw your, cause what he did, what he was doing, he was taking another post player out mm-hmm. on the perimeter, which allowed us to be able to drive. And, you know, once we drove and got past them, never, she got to make a, you know, he has to make a difference. We put him in a bind. Either you mm-hmm. gonna come and try to block us or we're going to pass the ball to Dre, Dre's going to dunk the ball. Mm-hmm. And once Walter was out, it played right into the hand because we didn't have someone to come in and do what Walter was doing. Uh, But, but just had a hot hand, you know, like it's, you you hate when a hot hand is taken out, especially when that hot hand shouldn't have been taken out on a phantom, on a phantom call.
0: Exactly. Well, let's talk about a game that was, we came out on the winning end and that's that SEC championship game against Arkansas in overtime. That was a wild one. And another one where we got down a lot and then we made this great comeback and, You were hitting shots and Shepard. Of course, I always felt so bad for Roderick Rhodes. He was a good foul shooter, missed those two foul shots. And, uh, (laughs) you know, Antoine Walker, that was his big emergence game right there.
1: It was. But you you know what was so funny about that? (laughs) That foul, Roger missed those two foul shots. I remember him telling Corbett, he's like, game over with. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like you you talking trash, and you go up to the line and, and you clank both free throws. It's like, oh man, you know. And and I, I remember looking over there, and Anthony Anthony Epps was like, I mean, he was like a he was like a a a wounded wounded animal. He needed <laughs> to be held up, you know. He was like, man, I just lost the game for our guys. But it, it was so funny going back to you know to the Arkansas game, knowing that they had beaten us early in the season at up Arena.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so we hadn't
1: forgotten about it. And they were, I think they were like maybe 10 points with two minutes ago. So I mean, we kind of walked them down and end up getting um, you know, win the game in overtime. But that was a great rivalry, rivalry back then, you know, us in Arkansas like because we played yeah. the same styles. Everybody everybody talked about the 40 minutes of hell. Like we played the same style. They pressed, they, you know, they just had a different name for their press. You know, mm-hmm. it was 40 minutes of hell, but we really played the same style and we didn't press each other. But when, if you were to go back and look at that game, it was like all blue and red. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and But it, it was a game for, for the ages, you know, for the SEC championship game. The two two of the best teams in the country are playing against each other. And, of course, someone had to lose. And, you know, just seeing, you know, where they were at and, and watching the 95 Final Four knowing that we should have been there. You know, that, that's, yeah. that's always the toughest thing to, to watch is teams that you feel like you're better than and teams that make it to the Final Four that you have beaten. Yeah. That's how we felt when we saw those teams in the Final Four in 95.
0: Yeah, those Arkansas robberies back then, when you had big, nasty Corliss Williamson and Scotty Thurman, I mean, they were good heels, especially Corliss yeah. Williamson. And I kind of miss those kind of rivalries because I don't think you have it in college basketball, the intensity like you do right, right then when you have guys around three, four years. And of course, Richardson was uh, a fine coach too. Well, right. let's, so let's transition into the big year, the senior year, our championship year with that 96 team, you know, Roderick Rhodes transfers away, but you have Derek Anderson come in as eligible. Uh, you know, great player there. You got, um, Antoine Walker stepping up to a bigger role. You got Ron Mercer coming in, uh, Wayne Turner,
1: Mark Pope.
0: I mean, um, it's just a loaded, loaded team, McCarty. Uh, talk about the expectation going in and talk about the fact that Patino wanted you to be the point guard.
1: Yeah. Which which I was okay with. I think to start the 95-96 season, um, I mean, the expectation where it was to win it. You know, we wasn't thinking about okay, we're gonna finish. You know, get to the final four. Like I, the final four wasn't gonna be sad, satisfying for me. It wasn't gonna be the satisfaction that I needed to to move on in, in, my, in my basketball career. Cause I knew mm-hmm. what we had coming back. I knew how close we were in '95. And I'm just like, we added some really good pieces. You know, you can add a Derek Anderson and Ron Mercer to the mix now, and we really didn't lose anyone. I'm like, okay, we're gonna be rocking and rolling here. Mm-hmm. And even as I started out as a point guard, you know, we played our first game, we beat Maryland and we lose the second game to UMass, who back in 95, they returned all their players. Mm-hmm. So they didn't lose anyone. People forget. People just think we must have lost to like a Western East Kentucky in our second game of the season. Like, no, we lost a team that eventually we end up beating in the final four and should have probably have been in the championship game. If you were to go back and look at how the season ended with them being mm-hmm. one, us being two. That should have been the championship game, us going against UMass. But losing to them, uh, people were like, "Oh yeah, coach made a you know the right move to move Anthony else back in back into uh, point guard." But even if Anthony had played that game, I still think UMass was was a good team. Like it, yeah. would, it would have been a game where it would have went down to maybe the last possession or last couple possessions because they re- they they were a a veteran team. We didn't just lose to a bad to a bad team. We lost to a team that eventually only lost maybe two games just like we did. And when we yeah. lost to them, guess what? We were number two all year and they mm. were number one all year. So mm. we flip-flopped, you know, they were, I think they were five to start of the season. They went to one, we mm. went to two. And when the regular season ended, they were one and we were two. So mm. we didn't just lose to anyone, you know, but it was it put me back at my natural position. And uh we just were able to just, you know, our chemistry was was on point from there. Not to say they wouldn't have been if I'd have been at the position, but I think I'd have been looking more to score um, than having a facilitator like Anthony Epps, who came and 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 was like Travis Ford. He knew how to get the ball to the right players and how mm-hmm. to run a ball club. And that's something that I might would have would have struggled with when it came to running a team and getting everyone involved. I would have got a few people involved. Definitely, most importantly, myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, knew how, he knew how to get everyone involved, you know, with, with yeah. and Antoine and Walter and Derek and Ron. And, you know, so you have to have a guy at that position that even as you look at the NBA guards, you know, the, the top guards, you know, they're, they're going to get you 15, 16 assists. They know how to get teammates involved, you know, still know how to get their own. But when you can when you put a score at that position, it makes it more difficult.
0: Yeah. Well, no, that, that is true. I, Anthony Epps is one of my favorite players, and I just feel like you got to have a guy that's, you know, that facilitator and keep everybody happy. And And he hit a lot of big shots. I mean, he was deadly from the three, uh, from the free throw line. He hit a lot of big three-pointers. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was amazing how everybody was able to be a cohesive unit because Derek Anderson came in from Ohio State where he was like a 15-point-per-game scorer, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not going to get as many shots. And, you got didn't get as many shots and Antoine needs some shots and Walter needs some shots. And right it but um the one thing I did the only thing I didn't like about 96 were those denim uniforms. I was like, oh <laughs> those were rough. But um and those
1: a hey, a hey Ben, th- those were the worst uniforms I've ever worn in my life. Other other than I take that back, the ones with the with the shark, the shark teeth down the side, they were ugly too, but and I the, know. Dinner, the dinners were supposed to be like a demo so we supposed to only wear them for one game you know wearing one game and with the yeah. shoes and supposed to be done with them also when they got sweaty they got really heavy oh gosh and i hated them you know i i hate them to the point where i couldn't wait until we got to the final four where we kind of got back to our traditional blue and white uniforms and we got all those denim. But, you know, coaches are superstitious. You know, they he felt like that was the reason why we probably made it as far as we did. We had some ugly denim uniform with the yeah. with the so-called matching shoes, which Converse at that time were awful shoes. I hated wearing Converse. Bad yeah. On the-
0: well, I, just remember, I was thinking going into this interview, I was like, you know what? Tony may have played in the era where Kentucky had the worst uniforms oh, ever. But, because yeah. 94's uniforms, like you said, with the scratch on them, they were yeah, hideous, awful. too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about that run in the NCAA tournament because, I mean, you guys beat Wake Forest team with Tim Duncan and beat them like a drum. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the defense was fantastic with Walter and Antoine in that game. I mean, um, you beat Utah with Keith Van Horn um, pretty handily in the Sweet 16. Um, that great game against UMass. I mean, just talk about that run because it was it was magical.
1: I think during that time you had, Every team had a really good big. And what we did, we had a game plan for every big. We trapped big on big. Normally you send a smaller guy, which most big can see over myself or six, four, six, five. But when you can bring two six, ten long athletic players to trap another big that mm-hmm. wasn't good. It's funny that Tim Duncan is, of course, he wasn't the Hall of Famer Tim Duncan that, that we that we saw. A few years ago, win find five championships, but, um, you know, we thought it would be difficult for him to make passes out. It if was. Just two big players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did that for most of our guys. So it was kind of like a game plan that Coach Patino had in his back pocket that we used against um, mm-hmm. offensive bigs on the low block. And we just kind of took off the passing angles that we thought that they would, that they would be able to see. And it was from to the corner, strong side corner, strong side wing, and top of the key. So we made them take a longer, a cross-court pass if it was available, but it was going to be a tough pass for them to make because most guys at that time wasn't as skilled as the players are now to be able to dribble out of the post and then make a play for a teammate. So mm. it, it, it was a perfect time to double uh, big on big to make it difficult for those guys to pass
0: out. Yeah. Well, so talk about going into that championship game because you were playing Syracuse, another traditional uh, powerhouse, but they've never won a championship. And of course, Kentucky's looking for their first championship in 19 or in 18 years. Talk about going into that game. We were just ready. I, I think, you know, we had played, I
1: faced Syracuse. That was my third time playing Syracuse. Played them at the Carrier Dome. They came to Rupp Arena, which is probably one of the, <laughs> uh, if you go back and look at that game, we must've had about 50 turnovers between the two of us. So it was an awful game for both of us that played in their proper arena, but we knew we was going against their zone, their zone and you have to get in the gaps. You have to move the zone. You have to dribble, penetrate, be ready to shoot, knock down shots. And we knew all those things um, play in our favor because we had good shooters.
0: Mm-hmm. We didn't
1: see a lot of zones uh, during the course of the season because we pressed a lot. And when you get up, when you get up a lot of points, um, we had too many shooters, so teams were really scared to play a zone. But mm. Syracuse, it was their primary uh, primary defense, and we knew that's what we were going to be facing. Then it was a matter of making shots. Uh, Anthony Epps did a great job of getting me uh, involved the first half. I thought Syracuse did a really good job the second half of making an adjustment to me after I made six six threes. And that's what you're going to do. you want to shade more toward, towards the guy that's hot. Uh, mm. That's just a, a, an adjustment that uh, Coach Baham and his staff made but we knew we was the better team. I mean, it was hands right. down. It was a closer game, and when I went back and looked at that game, we had our 20, 20 year reunion. It wasn't a great game by us, you know. It was a game you look back and be like, we missed layup, we missed easy mid range shots, uh, too many turnovers. Um, you know, we, it was just a lot of mistakes for a team that was that was as as solid as we as we were. We just didn't look crisp as we had looked at so many other games. You know what I'm saying? It was like, dang, you know, this is the mighty Kentucky team that, that just barely beat the Syracuse team that had one pro, John Wallace.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it was an amazing game. I mean, I agree with you. It was one of those. It was like probably it was probably the worst tournament game that we had that whole series yeah. of 96. But but it was like, you know what? Sometimes it's not pretty. You just got to find a way to win. And, and we did. Like, you were hot and Ron Mercer got hot. you second half and he hits those jumpers at the elbow and um, we found a way to get it done. We, we call that Ben, we call that, that, that that's the Tennessee connection. Tennessee connection, that's yes. right, because he's from Nashville. Right. So you end the UK career on a high note. At that time, you were the number four leading scorer at UK, but you're number five right now and I guess you're going to stay number five forever because no one's going <laughs> to yeah. stay around long enough to, to yeah. beat that. But just talk about your experience of being—you um, know—you're a, a big-time star at UK and all the the adulation you get from the fans and stuff. Just talk about, you know, the K- the Kentucky fans and what it's like to be a, a big star at Kentucky and and try to be a normal college student.
1: Yeah, you know, it it, it was the best experience I had. Um, you know, and I'm I'm so happy I didn't leave Kentucky. Um, you know, to be able to. Win a championship, get my name in the rafters, play with so many uh, great players, uh, a great coach, the best fans in the world. You know, what could a kid from a small town Brownsville, Tennessee, ask for? you know, you get a chance to win a championship. Get your scholarship. Me, um, no, not scholarship. You get your get your degree. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're able to walk away from a program as a champion after four years and and this where I started at to where that season ended, I'm like, man, whoever would have thought that, you know, this little kid would be the most outstanding player of a final four. I mean, I couldn't have wrote that script up any better. You know what I'm saying? But really it it was, it was a humble beginning. And it was a work ethic that, that drove me. And then I was just passionate about basketball. Like I, I wanted to be the best I could possibly be. And, you know, just coming to Kentucky, yeah, there was a lot of pressure that that last year to win it. But, yeah. you know, I, I thought we, you know, we stepped up to the challenge. We was like, okay, cool. You know what? We were picked to win it. Let's go out and do it. But we had to sacrifice. And, you know, no one no one really knows all those hard practices that we had. You know, and I was mentioning earlier about, I remember beating Georgia at Rupp Arena by, by maybe 10 to 12 points. It was a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a... Uh, afternoon, I think it's about probably like a five or six o'clock game. And you know, we they came back on us and we still end up winning by maybe eight to ten double figure, double digits. But he came in and wrote 12 or one on the board. I'm like, wow, man, we're not gonna have practice until 12 or one p.m. We was ecstatic. It was 12 or one a.m. So, gosh, we came, so we was, we was gonna boycott practice. I'm like, no, nah, man, we're not going like we just had this game, we won. I mean, what? I mean, what sense does this make us going, you know, to practice? So it it got around 10 o'clock, 1030. So everybody started going to their rooms and getting their shoes. And we walked over to uh, Memorial Coliseum and we had about a a nice two and a half hour practice on a Saturday night when we should have gone out and been celebrating.
0: We practiced. Yeah. That's Coach Patino for you. That is Coach Patino. That is Coach Patino. Hard work. So who are some of your
1: best friends from the team at UK? Walter McCarty. That was my roommate for four years. Walter and I came in. um, We played in a Kentucky Derby Festival game in Louisville when they used to have that back in the day.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And we were friends and and roommates then. So when we left, we was like, hey, man, let's just, you know, I like you, you like me. Hey, let's be be roommates. And um, couldn't have been a better match for me. You know, we all still stay in contact with each other with Derek and Ron and Nazi, uh, Wayne Turner, Anthony, uh, Scott, Cam, uh, Alan Edwards. Uh, Mm -hmm. We just had a a Jeff Shepard, Mark Poe. We just had such a a good group of men. You know, Mm -hmm. we really all enjoyed playing with each other. It it was the best camaraderie that I think I've ever had on any team I played on. That's
0: good. And that's that's awesome to hear that you guys are still in contact. You know, it's been 25 years since. Kentucky won that team, but it's like the bonds you make in college and high school. Or it lasts forever. It lasts forever. So, all right. Now you go to the NBA in a loaded 1996 draft. I mean, loaded. Right. You had, you had uh, Allen Iverson drafted in that as number one. Marcus Kimby was number two. Sharif Abderrahim was three. Antoine Walker, which I was I was kind of surprised Antoine Walker left but I guess, I mean, he, I just heard in those drafts, he was like beating John Wallace left and right. And I mean, he was drafted number six. Right. Um, A guy that tended to to pan out pretty well. Kobe Kobe Bryant drafted number 13 by the Hornets. And then you were drafted 16. Walter got drafted, I think, 19 by the Knicks. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk about uh, being drafted into the NBA and some of your favorite NBA career uh, highlights. It was, it was,
1: it was an exciting draft. I wish so many. I wish all those young, those underclassmen come out. I'd have been a lottery pick, you know. You didn't have the the Kobe Bryans, the Kerry Kittles, the Stephon Marbury, uh, Ray Allen was there, Ray Allen, Sharif was a freshman, Antoine was a sophomore. I mean, all these young players coming out. I'm like, man, y'all took y'all took some of my shine away. I should have been like a top five draft pick, but it was okay. You know, you look back at that draft, and it was, you know. In history, I think it was the best draft. You know, mm-hmm. maybe I'm a little biased, but you look at you have NBA champion, you have Hall of Famers, you have MVPs. Um, you know, you you look at one of my former teammates, Steve Nash, who's coaching Brooklyn Nets before yeah. me. But um, you know, you start seeing all these players, man. You know, the, the second half of, of their of what they're doing now uh, in life, but just how we came in. And looking back at that draft, I mean, it was a special class. You know, even with Jermaine O'Neal, who wasn't a household name. And Kobe, I don't think anyone really could say they knew Kobe coming out in 96. I didn't know him. I'm not going to even lie to you and pretend like, oh yeah, I knew this high school player that was going to be a Hall of Famer, a five-time NBA champion. I never, I didn't think about it because I didn't know who he was. I was more about the college guys. And during Mm -hmm. that time, you started seeing one or two high school players get drafted and it's not like a collegiate player is following college, I mean high school players. We're just not doing that, you know, especially right. at that time. I think now mm-hmm. it's a different time. But, you know, just looking at the guys, you know, Pager Storjakovic was in that draft. I um, mean, that was so many great players. And then on the back half, you had like a Derek Fisher, you know, who was a mm-hmm. 24 pick by the Lakers. And then, you know, you know um, Ben Wallace, Hall of Fame, didn't get drafted. He wasn't even – he didn't, he didn't even get drafted in 96. Um, mm. But let you know how much talent was in that in that draft class. Um, and even as I watched these draft classes, now I'm like, man, nothing will compare to all those players that came out. When you have really good two- and three-year players and seniors, uh, the one-and-done players were really, really good. The high school players turned out to be good. Mm-hmm. So we made the job for GMs easy that year, you know, just – because you almost couldn't go wrong whoever you select. Like, that player will turn out to be a good player if, yeah. if he was given the
0: time. So, um, I guess I, I always enjoy when you were on those Phoenix teams with Jason Kidd. And uh, I guess it was 2000, you had your best year. Uh, talk about uh, playing on that team because that was like the those great Laker teams with Kobe and uh, Shaq in the Western Conference. And you had Portland with Rasheed Wallace. And mm-hmm. it was just a loaded West.
1: It, it was. It, it was – I really, when I, when I left Charlotte, I got traded to Golden State, and I was a free agent. I signed with Sacramento, and I was going to stay in Sacramento. Sacramento offered me a two-year deal, player option, and that was a good team. That team reminded me of Kentucky with Chris Webber, Pager, Corliss, Jason Williams, Nick Anderson. I mean, we were a close-knit team. But at that time, I had been traded. Signed as a free agent with Sacramento, and Phoenix offered me six years of guaranteed money, and I couldn't turn it down. You know, it was yeah. like, and plus I love Phoenix. Phoenix was a place I wanted to go as a free agent. Scott Scott was a head coach there, and then I got a chance to play with uh, Jason Kidd, who at that time I could go back to being a shooting guard. Jay right. was the one, and it was tailor made for me to to go out and score. You know, and and I got the name buckets because uh, as soon as I got in the game, I'm getting buckets right quickly, you know? And, and, uh, you know, so it, when I look back at that, that particular season, it was a good season because I played all 82 games. One of the few years I played all 82 games. Uh, I don't know if it was a, the weather in Phoenix, but there was some behind me just finishing that season uh, and not really getting injured, not getting hurt. I had yeah. a perfect season. And that 53 point game was just going back to Sacramento and, you know, I was just in one of those zones, you know, when you can get hot. And I've done that throughout my my career, whether it was high school, college. I've had those games where I'm just locked in, like nothing. Everything I shoot, I feel like it's going in. And, you know, you have those kind of games as, as a player. But that particular night, it was really, you know, a special night. We didn't win the game. I wish we could have won the game. Um, yeah. Just mm-hmm. to get 50 at that time when it was a physical brand of basketball. Not like what I'm seeing right now. I mean, to see 50 now, I'm not surprised. I mean, come on. They shoot threes. You know, you got players shooting 15 and 23s per game. I'm like, yeah, if you make 10 of those and throw in some twos, get to the foul line, you're going to get 50 points. Mm -hmm. But I really um, enjoyed just playing with Jason. Jason made the game easy. And that's one of the reasons why he's a Hall of Famer. And and anyone who played with him can, uh, can contest to just how free you play on offense and his job is to get you the ball. He sacrificed because he could, he could have been a scorer himself. But he just made his teammates happy. And When you can have a point guard like an Anthony Elves, um, a Steve Nash, guys love playing with those kind of point
0: guards. Yeah. When you were in the league for 12 years, I mean, that's, that's uh, amazing to be in the, in the league that long. because think of all the talent that comes in and out and stuff. And so that, that was a really great career. Now, one thing, though, you've been a big success after playing ball and you transition into you're on Cal Perry's staff for a little while. Now I listened to, a, I listened to a podcast where you, I forgot your co-host Dean and Derek Anderson were on and you were talking about, you know, player, former alumni getting involved and you talked about your time on Cal Perry staff. And I thought it was very interesting how the restrictions were and stuff. Hmm. So talk about that, but just talk about also transitioning into the coaching too.
1: Well, the coaching really started when I went to Puerto Rico. I went to Puerto Rico as a player, not knowing I was going to leave as a coach. Because I went down, because I still was going to play professional basketball after I got done with um, my last NBA season with Detroit Pistons. You know, I still had had that bug, and I'm like, i still still can play. Um, might not be NBA caliber anymore, but I uh, went to Puerto Rico, played a few games there. And the owner of the team, when he fired the coach, and I was just getting ready to leave and go, I had a deal maybe overseas. He was like, hey, why don't you help me? Excuse me, why don't you help me coach the team? I'm like, I really don't know anything about coaching, you know? But it kind of, I was intrigued by it. I was like, okay, maybe it's something I might can do down the road. And so I remembered a lot of the sets that I would run and plays for uh, for other teammates and just started putting those plays in. So coaching... Mm -hmm. Coach and I, we just, we had a game plan. We started coaching and putting plays in and having defensive sets, knowing the personnel. And before you knew it, um, we were coaches. He was a head coach. I was the assistant coach. I gave him all the sets and you know he wanted to, he he wanted to be the head man. And I didn't mind. I didn't mind you know, knowing my role. But long story short, we ended up that year getting to the Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican finals and losing uh, on the road by three points, game seven on the road by three. Wow. And that kind of got me into coaching. I went Mm -hmm. back and did that one more summer. And then uh, Coach Cal got hired by UK. And he was really good friends with one of my former coaches, Mike Woodson. And I remember going to Mike and said, hey, you don't want to stay, you know, continue to keep coaching. And I knew he had a relationship with Coach Cal. Met with Coach Cal. He ended up, um, you know, hiring myself and uh, Scott Patrick. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah, he just brought us in and, you know, we really couldn't coach because he already had he already had hired uh, the guys that he brought from Memphis. But I remember going there and I still was, you know, still playing basketball. And I remember uh, Sandy Bell telling me she was like, well, you know, it's a violation. She said you really can't as a as a support staff. You can't play with the players because that's considered coaching the players. I'm thinking to myself like, what? I'm just playing to stay in shape. <laughs> I'm not really out here because I don't even I ain't know them guys like that. You know, I had just got in there, I didn't recruit them, you know, so I didn't I wasn't actually out there coaching them. But you know, NCAA has some funny rules and, and some some different regulation that they have on, you know, just as as a government body, basically, and just understanding you know, my role and what I was able to do, you know, and just help the guys. Um, you know, I really wasn't in the role of really being a an assistant coach or player development guy. Cause I, I was restricted from doing both of those. So when yeah. I left Kentucky um, and finally went to New Mexico state, then I, then I was really an assistant coach. I really can game plan. I could get out there individually, do some player development. Um, so I, if I had stayed, it Kentucky a little bit longer, you know, some of those guys would have left. I definitely would have just went, went right into being on coach's staff and, who knows? I probably would have been a head coach at a major university if I'd, stay, if I'd have stuck with it.
0: Yeah. So how did you transition into broadcasting and working with the SEC Network? It was always
1: something that I wanted to do. Um, you know, just to be versatile in the game of, um, in this game, you know, being an analyst, knowing the game, um, having played it, coached it, Now it's, it's a different terminology, it's a different language that I mm-hmm. had to learn. So it took me time. I went and hired some coaches that, helped me along the way my first year with SEC, uh, network. And it was fun. I really, uh, enjoy reuniting with former, uh, former SEC players, you know, and just did that for three years and, you know, they decided to downsize, but you know, it was, I got good experience at it, you know, and even as I get opportunity to present themselves now, you know, to come back and do some SEC radio, uh, to do some, uh, high school games, still do collegian games. It's fun. You know, I think I have the experience and what it takes and I enjoy doing it.
0: Yeah. So, well, now of course you're into the Tony Belt basketball Academy. And I saw that on Instagram. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Cause I mean, Derek has been doing that, but I like to hear those kind of stories because you guys have the experience, but you're working with kids who may not have those opportunities and you're helping them to be good basketball players, but also mentors and, um, you know, hopefully, helping their basketball career uh, move onward and upwards. So, talk about how you started that, and some of the things you guys are doing now.
1: Well, I think the basketball academy got started just based on, um, you know, just being in, still being around the game, still loving the game, still wanting to develop and help and help players. Um, mm-hmm. So, when we when we first thought of, when I first thought about it, I was thinking, how could I help young. Like young kids, young elementary kids, develop the game of basketball. What do they need to work on? Teaching them the pass, shoot, the drill, the basic fundamentals of the game. And I thought that kids were missing that. You know, you 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 see, you see a Steph Curry, you see a LeBron James, you see these finished products, but you don't know where they where they had to start at. You know, what it takes. You know, just to practice three or four hours a day, listening to your coach. As I stated earlier, being passionate about it. you can't have your parents can't have more passion about what you do than you do. Mm-hmm. And, and just being focused and disciplined. Kids struggle with being disciplined, you know, eating right, uh, doing what a coach tell you to do, not when a coach is watching you. Do, are you disciplined when a coach turns his back or when a coach goes to his office? Are you going to do what the coach told you? Are you going to work hard? Are you going to give the extra time? Uh, are you going to come early, stay late? Mm-hmm. All those things are are. Or what makes players who they are, you know, being an NBA player. But parents who haven't played, kids only know what they know. And parents, if they don't teach them that, they only know, okay, hey, they only know shortcuts. They only know we need to practice an hour a day. Oh, it's okay to miss practice.
0: No, mm-hmm. it's not
1: okay to mispractice. It's not okay to miss practice. It's not okay to not do individual training if you are serious about playing basketball. If you're not serious, you're going to have fun. Okay, but when you start playing AAU basketball, it's competitive. The coaches want to win. Mm-hmm. The kids might want to have fun. Those mm-hmm. coaches that I have hired and, and brought on and have done a phenomenal job with helping my program go, my girls and boys, is they want to win games. Parents don't understand, well, when you pay your money, well, the ninth and tenth player is supposed to – no, they don't supposed to play. Is that if it's a game where we're up four or five points and – your son and daughter hadn't played, your son and daughter probably won't get in the game. So it's, it's it's a tough conversation to have with parents, but also you have to be honest with them and let them know where my program and where my coaches are at. And my coaches and, and I are, are on the same page.
0: Yeah. How many how many students do you have in the academy?
1: We probably have about 120. We have... Oh, wow,
0: that's, that's
1: a lot. Yeah, we have 11 AAU teams. I have uh, five... Five girls and six boys range from third to eighth grade. So no high school teams, um, elementary, middle school. And the reason why I wanted to focus on them is just really to, you know, teach them and give them a really good foundation on what it takes to be really good. And hopefully they stay in the program, you know, for the next four or five years. And I want to see my teams grow until a team that was a young third or fourth grade team to, As they get to maybe seventh or eighth grade, I'm like, wow, you know, I've seen the improvement. That's what it takes. You know, those those kids were committed and and also giving, given the the kids stability, like I want to have a program where, you know, kids and parents going to leave. We can't keep everyone, which is, which I'm fine with, you know, but also, you know, being a director is that we might not bring you back. We might not like your, you might, might not like your kids game. You might not like you how you interact with the parents. <laughs> so it's going to be our choice as well. Like parents always think like, yeah, when the season ends, we're not coming back. I'm like, well, it's our it's our choice whether we
0: want to bring you back or not. Yeah. It works both ways. Well, I tell you what, dealing with the parents has got to be interesting at times because sometimes people think their kid is going to be the next Steph Curry or the next Tony yeah. Delkin, and they're not.
1: They're delusional, which, which is okay. I mean, hey, <laughs> you come across delusional people in life. Yeah. And, and I come across them every day. I'm like, but, but also here, here's something else I know, Ben, is that when it comes to basketball and knowledge of the game, and I'm not perfect. I don't know everything in basketball, but I can't come down to your level. There's different levels of, of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So if I come down to your level, then you're going to win, you know? So I kind of keep it a little bit higher. So mm-hmm. even if we have these conversations, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, but I'm going to give you a different scenario so you can understand that. Okay. We're talking about coaching. What about your kid not running back on defense? Your kid constantly to turn the ball over. Your kid can only go one direction. Your kid mm-hmm. miss all these shots. Your kid miss free throws. Your kid miss layups. Do you want to talk about basketball? You still want, you, do you still want to have this conversation about mm-hmm. coaching? I said, what coach do you know? Phil Jackson, Larry Brown, Rick Popovich. What coach can go out there and score for your son? Yeah. None of us. We can only give you a game plan. And your job is trying to execute that game plan.
0: Calipari ex- experienced that this year with our, our Kentucky Wildcats team.
1: Oh, yeah. But, you know, you have teams that might be missing a player or two. Yeah. Uh, a team that just, they're not that good. You know, sometimes players might be, be overrated. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking like, wow, why, why aren't these guys? And plus, they're 18, 19-year-old kids. And you're saying, okay, now we want you to lead this program. And there's nobody... Nobody teach you how to lead because this ain't like you lead in high school. You coming into, you know, a story program with great tradition that's used to winning and you're not winning games right now. People won't, people won't answer. But I know the answer. They didn't have a preseason and they're a young team. Yeah. And no one came back to teach these guys how to play at that level. That's the yeah. reason why they struggle. we struggled this year. Yeah. Well,
0: I, I'm not a fan of the one and done system, but I will say this. It's amazing that Coach Calipari has not had more losing teams because of the fact that you're bringing a whole new crew together, making them uh, a team. The expectations of the Kentucky fans is to win right away and to only have two bad seasons, I think, is if you think about it from a high level, pretty remarkable. But anyway, the pressure's on to win next year, that's for sure.
1: Well, I I think Coach will be retooled. He'll be be focused. He'll be ready. and, and And I can tell you this right now them recruits better be ready. Yes. Uh, he, gonna be, he will be on the vengeance, but also just his staff, you know, just changing your staff around, bringing some new life and some new excitement. You know, that, that also helps, too. You know, nothing against, you know, the guys that love Joel and, and Tony Barbie is that, you know, you're bringing in some guys that, you know, the expectation is going to be higher this, this season. So those yeah. guys got to know that, okay, hey, we, we had that, that bad season last year, which usually, in most cases, Get, somebody's fight. get somebody fired. Mm-hmm. When you have a season like that, a couple coaches going to get fired or, you know, we go going in a different direction. Uh, something going to happen. So a little shakeup to me is never bad. You know, it's yeah. always going to be something that players have to be, prepared, be uh, prepared for, but also understand, okay, what the expectation is when you come to this university.
0: Yep. All right. Just a couple more questions, and uh, I'll let you go. The thing about it is when I start talking basketball, I can just go on and on, but <laughs> we got to keep it under control here. All right, if you're picking your all-time UK team, and you can pick up to twelve guys, so you can have your starters, you can have your reserves coming off the bench, and two extra guys if you want. Who are you going to pick? I'm, I'm going. I'm going
1: with the the greats first. I'm with. Um, got to go with Jack Gibbons. Yep. Yeah. Kenny um, Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Dan Issel can't leave him out. Absolutely. I gotta go with um Anthony Davis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Rex Chapman. Um, man.
0: You
1: gonna, you gonna throw you yourself mean, on there? there? Oh, yeah, of course, Tony Delk. I was like, definitely gotta be on the list, Jay. Tony Doug <laughs> <Duk. Tony laughs> is definitely on there. Um Gosh, you know what? It's hard to put these one and done guys on. You know, it
0: is. It is.
1: When you when you look at Keith Bogan's got to go on there. I think Tayshon, Tayshon, and Keith Bogan. About
0: um, Mashburn.
1: Oh yeah, Mash. Yes, I think I said Mash, but yeah, I'll say them again. Mashburn, definitely. Um, how many? How many do I have right now? You got nine right now, and
0: here's what your lineup's looking like. At the centers, you got Dan Essel – and you got Anthony Davis in your forwards. You got Mashburn. Um play power forward along with Kitty Walker, small forwards. You got Jack Givens and Tayshawn Prince. Ewan Bogans are the shooting guards, uh, along with Rex Chapman. Oh a little light on point guards.
1: I might light on point guards, man. Who I gotta put my my championship winning guard at Anthony else, man. I can't Anthony leave. Anthony Epps. Leave my I can't leave my man Epps out. Who? Oh, uh, well,
0: you're giving him some love right there.
1: That's the my dude, man. He, he won a championship. I can't leave, I can't leave ye out. Um other good guards, man. Um
0: well here's the thing, though. There were a lot of really good guards in the 50s and 60s before you and I were around. You had Ralph Beard, you had Louis Dampier, you had Frank Ramsey, who a lot of like my grandparents would definitely put in there. Um, I would say looking at it Wall work,
1: Fox. You gotta put uh, Frank Ramsey, he needs to be there. And I can't leave out, I got to put the legend, the godfather, Pat Riley in there.
0: Yeah, Pat Riley. So Anthony Epps is going to be doing a heck of a lot of passing there because there are a lot of shooters.
1: Yeah, you got to have passes. I mean, there, are, yeah. there are, you, you couldn't put any other point guard in there that, that likes to score.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting on the one and done thing. It's like I did a podcast where we were talking about the – we did it based on our teams for the decades, and we also picked Anthony Epps as our point guard for the 90s. But I was looking at the great point guards we've had since Calipari's been there with John Wall and De'Aaron Fox and Tyler Eulis and uh, Brandon Knight. And I, I picked De'Aaron Fox because, I mean, man, that guy was 6'4". He could move. He could shoot. But as far as just a pure point guard, Tyler Eulis was just amazing in his two years. I mean, he was shorter yeah. and stuff, but he was really good.
1: He was, he was good. I mean, you you couldn't go wrong picking Tyler, but I think, um, you know, Anthony was just so he was just solid. Like we knew exactly what we was going to get out of him, and he just knew he played with he played with scores. He played with bona fide scores, and you need a point guard that understands. Man, I got to get these guys a ball. Like I like, of course, you got to be able to knock down some open shots, but when it comes to really good players and you have four of those dudes and now I can get the body to either one of those guys. He understood that a yeah. lot of players don't understand that. A lot of players don't know when to pass, who to pass and what guys hot mismatches. Like he knew all those things. He knew the, the mismatches, you know, mm. sometimes he created them. was like, okay, all right, you go here. You also got to be able to talk, be vocal and uh, players miss out on those things, you know, but when he's respected, because of how hard he worked and, and just us winning games. And he helped us win, like I said, 27 games in a row. I'm I, There's no other point guard I would pick.
0: Yeah. That's a good team right there. Bogans and Tayshawn made the, the list. I don't know. You know, it's interesting with Bogans. It doesn't seem like he should be the number four scorer. Kentucky I agree. Because, I mean, it just doesn't seem like it, but because he had a down year as a junior, and I really don't think – I think of Bogans as a good player. I don't think of him as – A Tony Dell. I I do.
1: You know what? You know he's solid. He was solid. If I could remove, like, you know, if he's the one player that if he wasn't there, I would be fine. But you know, he had a solid career because even if, even when I go back to my freshman season, if I had a really played played, um, of course I would have had more points. Um, Right. So I really got my points in between my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Right. look, I'm like, no, I didn't do a lot of my freshman. You know, my freshman was kind of like a watch. But you you look at Keith Bogans, and you do have to say, like, man, you know, fourth, he had a, it was a solid career. Wasn't nothing, he didn't have no big scoring games. I mean, he's, I, I think he's second on the three-point shooting. I didn't know him for a three-point shooting. I'm like,
0: yeah, only the second on the list? He took a lot of shots.
1: Yeah, but but still, though, I mean, when you see his NBA game, you see him being a defender, not a scorer. You know, he was just mm-hmm. really fell into a a just a, a one-way player, which he was a score. Yeah. He was a defender. You know, so it's, you know, when you look back at it when we talk about Kentucky, I mean, it's hard not to put guys that are in the top five and scoring on your list. But when you look back and be like, okay, how impactful was he to Kentucky get into a final for um get into a championship game, you know. I mean. Mash only took us to what he took us to the final four. Mm-hmm. You know we didn't. How far did we go when he went? went and here he found out the final four game. He found out the Elite Eight game against Duke.
0: Those he were all bad there. calls, though. Those were bad calls. Yeah, he might have been some bogus
1: calls there. I know.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a good. There are so many good ball players at Kentucky. I mean, you could argue for days on, on yes. that kind of stuff. I mean, because you got Rick Roby in there. You got. Uh, uh, Sam Bowie was a good one. Uh, Cliff Hagen back in the
1: Chuck, day. Chuck Hayes was, wasn't the bad player. Chuck Hayes was good.
0: Chuck Hayes is one of those guys that you want on your team. Yeah. So I love him. All right. One question, then I'm going to ask you your living the dream question. Who do you consider the best shooters at UK ever? Because you were a shooter. You're our all-time leading scorer in three-point shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a lot of good shooters at UK. Who would you say are the best in your opinion?
1: I got to go with Rex Storm, with Rex Chapman, uh, mm. Jody Meeks.
0: He had a heck of a year as a junior, 25 yeah. points a game.
1: Oh, that's crazy. Um, Jamal Murray.
0: No, well, that's a good pick.
1: He uh, also was a great shooter.
0: Cameron Mills. He was clutch. Yeah. You know, another guy I would throw in there, too, uh, Deron Lamb. Oh, yes. I mean, oh yeah. Boy, he was he, he shot. I was looking at his stats. He shot like 47% from three for his career.
1: That's career.
0: Crazy. Yeah.
1: So and uh, came Travis Ford, another, he's another good shooter.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know. Pass. I'm trying to think who else in the 90s was a knockdown shooter. Uh, yeah, that, that's I mean that's that's my list.
0: I, I think so. That's that's my list too. All right, final question. Our show is called Living the Dream. And playing at University of Kentucky and and being a star basketball player to me is a living the dream experience. But you've also done a lot of things outside of basketball, like with your academy and other foundations that are kind of living the dream work too. So why was playing at UK a living the dream experience for Tony Dell? And how are you living the dream today? Living
1: the dream because I I get to be, I I got to be a part of history having my name in a rafter with so many greats was something I never thought about. Mm. And I can remember the first time walking in Rupp Arena and seeing like Walker, Issel, Givens, Bowie, so many greats. I'm like, man, how do you get up there? And when you're young and you're 18, you don't think about it. you got to put in all that work to get up there. And it's like, man, what how do, how am I going to be up there someday, but just the timing, having the right teammates, um, understanding what may be good and and being able to do it, and most importantly, staying healthy. Like, I was healthy my whole collegiate career to be able to play in so many games, um, you know, and not really miss games because a lot of what happens to players And uh, the takes away from greatness is injuries. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was definitely blessed to have help throughout my um, UK days, which led me to, you know, to have an NBA career and led me on to, you know, being an entrepreneur, um, getting to different ventures that helped my family, helped my friends. So I always want to be in a position to help people. So as I dream big, I'm not only dreaming for Tony Duck, I'm dreaming for Taylor Duck. Bella Duck, Trinity Duck, I'm dreaming for my siblings, my friends. How can I put people in a position where they can profit off of what I've done, but also be in a position where they help other people? So I'm all about Mm -hmm. helping being in a position of, of, of leadership and teaching people how to be successful. And the only way you can do that is you have to share what you have, your knowledge, and also share the money that you get. And also your time. Right. Nothing's more valuable than time. And my time has been valuable to, to a lot of people. And, and for those people who have helped me, who have given me their valuable time, I'm very appreciative.
0: Well, I'm very appreciative of the time you've given me today for this interview. I really appreciate it. I of course loved your career at UK, but I'm I'm always glad when I see the UK guys who have succeeded outside of basketball and doing these great things. And, and you're right up there with them. So I'm I'm thrilled to have you on the show because it's truly a living the dream moment.
1: Thank you. I appreciate being on your show and thank you for having me. And I'm we can do this again sometime down the road.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll definitely have you back on. So folks, we've been living the dream with Tony Delk, one of the all time greats at university of Kentucky with basketball. And he has been very generous with his time talking about his career at UK, but also what he's doing with the Tony Delk basketball Academy and his great overall life and he's an overall great guy as like i was telling before the show you know I'm, i grew up in paducah and i posted about the fact that tony was going to be on the show and some of my friends were, were college classmates with tony and they're like he was such a nice guy and they're looking forward to the interview so uh, just thrilled to have him on the show so folks we have ended another episode of live the dream with ben and rodney i'm your host ben wilson and hope you enjoy the show and we'll see you guys next time have a great day Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.